Hey everyone, it's Brandon. Today we're going to be doing something a little different with the show. In addition to The Devil Within, I produce a show for my friend and colleague, Yasmin Alia Khan. You may already be familiar with Ms. Khan's work as a contributor to TYT, where she dissects the leading political stories of the day. Well, she also has a podcast called Modern Context, where she can get away from the purely political and spread her wings a bit, dive into topics that don't quite fit with the TYT audience, but are timely and necessary nonetheless. I love producing the show for Yasmin and wanted to share her work with the Devil Within audience. Her most recent episode covers the history and influence of Valentine's Day on the world, and, much to my enjoyment, it gets historical, educational, and often hilarious. This is the perfect episode of Modern Context to introduce all of you to Yasmin's work, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Modern Context with Yasmin Aliyah Khan is available wherever you get your podcasts, plus full episodes are available on YouTube. Hello and welcome to the Modern Context Podcast. I'm your host, Yasmin Olia Khan, and I'm so happy you're here. If you're back, thanks for coming back. And if it's your first time, I'm very glad to have you. So we just had Valentine's Day, and I hope you all had a good Valentine's Day, as good of a Valentine's Day as the world and the people in it allowed you to have. My fiance and I just had kind of a normal day. We cooked dinner together, but again, that's pretty normal. He didn't get me any chocolates because we already have enough chocolate in the house. And he didn't get me flowers because it's the middle of winter. How impractical that Valentine's Day tradition demands chocolate at a time when most people are trying to eat better in the new year and flowers at a time when flowers are naturally not in bloom. We all live lives that are constantly at odds with nature and it's weird. I gotta say, it's always a strange experience to go about your life while so much is happening around the country and around the world. It's like you open up your phone, you see everything from layoffs to genocides, and then, oh yeah, happy Valentine's Day. That's really always been the case, of course. There are always horrific things going on somewhere, and in a lot of ways, you don't have a choice but to continue going about your life. That includes work, school, family obligations, etc. But it also includes parties, celebrations, and friends, art, indulgence, and frivolity. Those are real things that, again, in a lot of ways are unavoidable. You have to find some sort of balance between holding space for those suffering around you while still living your own life in the meantime. And that's going to look different for everyone. I think this phenomenon of walking around carrying guilt and sadness for things you can't do much about realistically has become so much worse in recent years. I always want to blame social media for everything, but social media really does allow for all of these horrible things in the world, or at least the horrible things that are trending, to be live streamed to you as they're happening, as you're sitting at home unable to do anything about them. And maybe that helplessness feeds the guilt we all feel deep down about something or other. It's as if we can't help the people and causes we want to help, so we do our best to at least carry their emotional burdens in the hope that it will somehow lessen their suffering. It's very sweet, and I don't mean that in a patronizing way. I do think the world patronizes and devalues those types of sentiments, though, even when there is action behind them. 
Not only that, but living in the United States is paradoxical on its own. The very nature of any of us being here on this land is problematic to say the least. And in this country, in a somewhat unique way, our comforts and ease of living often come at the expense of others overseas, at the expense of those peoples and lands that we cannot see and do not know. What a weight that is. And what a way to start off a podcast episode. My bad, let me try again. So Valentine's Day is actually my mother's birthday. So growing up, I never really cared about it too much. My mom's birthday was always the bigger priority, naturally, over a day that many consider to be an over-commercialized, superficial, mandated day of love. I am at the point in my life where I'm not going to hate on a day that's meant to celebrate love. It is commercialized, it is superficial, and it is strangely imposed upon us. It's utterly inescapable. A lot of what we see on Valentine's Day is performative gestures that may or may not actually have much meaning behind them, but honestly, what isn't? Christmas is performative, Thanksgiving, St. Patrick's Day, President's Day, all of it. But there's something to be said for the value of traditions within a culture. In a nation so divided, our cultural holidays and traditions seem to be that thread that we are all holding on to. In one way or another, these are the ties that bind. Obviously, I'm talking about the larger scale here. I know that there are individuals who have their own relationship with the holidays, and it's all valid. Choosing not to partake in a holiday's festivities for one reason or another is totally valid and understandable. I think that this will be more of a chat-like episode today because, well, just full transparency, I'm trying something new. I just need an update from the old format. I need something fresh or at least something that feels fresh to me. You might not even notice anything different going forward. Maybe I'll slide back into my old ways. I already know what we're going to talk about in the next episode. Spoiler alert, it's Ireland. So I'm not reinventing much of anything, but today I just want to chat. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, you might have noticed that it looks like I'm just sitting in the corner of a big black box. That is because I am. This room was painted black a couple of years ago. That's nothing new. But I did rearrange some furniture. Well, I sold some furniture, that big white couch and the big white chair that you may have seen in the background of my previous podcast episodes or in my TYT videos, those are gone. They were just so massive and they barely fit in this room. So I sold them and I will eventually get newer, smaller furniture in here. I also want to repaint. I love the black, but it's time for a change. But and now you can actually kind of see it on camera. I've got these horrible textured walls in here. They drive me crazy. Something about new builds in Texas, they've all got this knockdown texture on the walls. I'm told it's because imperfections are easier to hide on a textured wall than they are on a smooth wall, and that seems like as good an explanation as any as to why these insane textured walls come standard with so many houses. So I want to smooth the walls before I paint. I want to add some trim, maybe some crown molding but all of that will take time. Smoothing the walls will either be very time consuming and difficult for me to do or very expensive. I'll have to figure that one out for myself. Anyway, in the meantime, it just looks like I'm in some bleak dark corner in my room. There are things on the wall around me, but they're sort of just out of frame. I don't wanna mess with the wall decor just yet, not until I get the furniture in here. So in the meantime, it's just gonna look like this. 
I do have the desk facing out into the room now, which is way better, even though on camera it just looks like I'm sitting in a corner. But this is way better for me than just staring at a black wall. So there is a vision. It's coming along slowly. And in the meantime, this is what it will look like. All right, so have you guys been feeling like me lately? Like you want something fresh? I feel like I always get hit with this feeling around February. I'm always starting something new in February. This February, not so much, but usually. We'll see. We're only halfway through the month, so anything can happen. But it is the Chinese New Year. Maybe my annual cycle is just more aligned with that calendar. I don't know. But honestly, who wants to do literally anything in January? And if you didn't know, we are now in the year of the dragon, and that is my Chinese zodiac sign. Uh, the prognosis for dragons in the year of the dragon isn't actually that great, but the only reason I bring any of this up is because I was looking at Chinese astrology, but I was also looking at Western astrology, specifically the sign of Capricorn. Why was I looking into Capricorn? Because of Lupercalia. That's what we're actually going to be talking about today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. First, let me preface this by saying that a lot of this stuff is obviously myth and there are tons of different versions and interpretations and meanings behind the different things that we're going to be discussing. So take it all with a grain of salt and as always, use this as a launching point for you to do deeper research into anything that piques your interest. All right, so as of me recording this, it is Lupercalia, the day after Valentine's Day, February 15th. So for those of you who don't know, Lubricalia is an ancient Roman festival that some believe was part of the Christian church's transitioning of pagan holidays to more Christian ones. So Lubricalia, celebrated on February 15th, became St. Valentine's Day, celebrated on February 14th, according to the modern Gregorian calendar at least. Now, that may or may not be what actually happened, but Lubricalia was the celebration of the coming spring, a celebration of fertility as life was about to be in full bloom all around once again. But while that certainly sounds lovely and romantic, it really wasn't about romance. It was sexually charged for sure, but not in a sweet way, not even in a fun way, but I guess it just depends on what you're into. So the legend goes that back when Rome was brand brand new, the king ordered the two twin brothers, Romulus and Remus, to be thrown into the river because their mother had violated her vow of chastity. However, instead of throwing them into the river to die, the person who was supposed to execute the order just couldn't do it, so they put the babies into a basket and sent them down the river. Eventually, the basket washed up and the babies were picked up by a mama wolf and she raised the babies as her own. So yes, these babies were raised by wolves, as far as the legend goes. This is as good of a time to point out that the Latin word lupus means wolf, lupus lupercalia. I'm also right now realizing why the werewolf in Harry Potter was named Remus. 
I feel like I should have pieced that one together sooner than literally right now. Anyway, after being raised by this wolf mother, the boys were adopted by human parents, but they named their wolf den Lupercal. The festival of Lupercalia is meant to honor the she-wolf who raised the man who would become the father of Rome. By the way, the Roman god Lupercus is also honored with the festival. Lupercus is said to have protected the sheep from the wolves, and he is the god of fertility and that he ensured the sheep would be prolific. So we have fertility and wolves and sheep, and we have goats. The Luperci were Roman priests who carried out the rites of Lupercalia. Here's how it went down. First, the Luperci would perform the ritual sacrifice of one or more goats and a dog. Then the two naked Luperci would smear the blood from the sacrificial knife onto their foreheads. They would then wipe the blood off of their faces with wool that was soaked in milk, and they would do this while laughing. How terrifying. (laughs) So then there would be a big feast, but after the feast, the Luperci would cut strips of goat hide from the dead goat, and they would run around naked, whipping women who got too close to them with the goat hide. Why were the women anywhere near them? Because women who were whipped were said to be made fertile. Next, couples would be randomly assigned, and these couples were meant to stay together until the following Lupercalia. That's also pretty terrifying, but apparently some of them actually fell in love and got married after being paired up at the festival. So let's talk about goats for a minute, though. Goats have a strange and prominent presence in a lot of mythologies and religions. Most commonly today, it's associated with the devil. For instance, in tarot cards, which actually have a lot of Christian symbolism within them, there's the devil card, which often features an image of a devil-like creature with horns and wings. The card is associated with the zodiac sign of Capricorn. Capricorn is the goat. And among other things, the card represents materialism, temptation, and restriction sometimes self-imposed restriction in the sense that the person feels trapped by internal forces that they could probably control if they really wanted to. Greed, addiction to work, those sorts of things. Moving on, then there's Pan, the Greek god of fertility, who blesses the flock and the fields with birth, growth, and abundance. Pan is half goat, half man, and he plays a flute, a pan flute. However, he has a dark side. He's been known to chase goddesses, nymphs, and animals in his sexual prowess, and when the nymph Echo denied him access, Pan had her killed. That's pretty well in line with the devil Capricornian notion of impatience or frustration at not getting that which you covet. And, of course, we can't talk about goats and devils without talking about Baphomet. Real quick, this is the stuff modern-day conspiracy theories are made of. Everything from the Freemasons, the Illuminati, the Hollywood elite, the devil worship, QAnon, and more, all of that sort of starts here. I'm not going to go down all those rabbit holes because I just can't deal, but you are more than welcome to do that on your own time. Baphomet is the horned, goat-like devil creature that has come to be associated with the occult. I'm sure you've seen him. He's in a ton of movies. He makes regular appearances in horror films. The story goes that the Knights Templar worshipped Baphomet, allegedly, according to those who tortured them into admitting that they were worshipping a devil or a demon. In reality, the Knights Templar were extremely powerful, 
wealthy, and influential as a group. The governmental powers at the time weren't happy about that, and a lot of them were indebted to the knights, including the King of France. What better way to clear your debts than to have your debt collectors arrested and delegitimize their legacy by accusing them of devil worship? But Baphomet wasn't really a devil or a demon at all. Baphomet is understood to be a pagan deity associated with duality. He's associated with the mantra commonly associated these days with hermeticism, as above, so below. It speaks to a union between your higher self and your lower self, or your spiritual self and your physical self. It's about the duality that exists between man and nature. And maybe early Christians didn't like that. There's also the possibility that the name Baphomet is derived from different pronunciations of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. And remember, all of this was taking place during the Crusades, which involved a lot of fighting between the Christians and the Muslims. So when the Knights Templar, who are fighting for the Christian Holy Land, were accused of worshiping Baphomet, they may have been being accused of secretly converting to Islam. Or some may have believed that they were practicing some hideous dualistic religion that actually married both Christianity and Islamic doctrines. In that sense, the Christian church is pretty famously intolerant of duality. So initially, Baphomet didn't really have a whole lot to do with the Christian devil because Baphomet was never Christian. It wasn't until centuries after the Crusades and the Knights Templar that the image of Baphomet that we are familiar with today became popular. Now, all of that said, Baphomet, in the modern context, is now widely associated with the occult and Satanism. It's important to note, however, that modern Satanists don't necessarily worship the Christian devil. La Carmina is a scholar and an author who attended Columbia College and Yale Law School, and she wrote a book on Satanism. She said, quote, There are many different kinds of Satanists, but most don't actually believe in Satan and don't worship him as a god or as a force of evil. For the most part, Satanists are non-theists who view Satanism as a personal liberation from traditional theistic beliefs. We value nonconformity and revolt against the ideas of superstition and arbitrary authority. Modern Satanists are nonviolent and interested in the pursuit of reason, justice, and truth. She goes on to say, quote, Essentially, Satan is a metaphor. We believe in the historical idea of Lucifer as the light bringer, a principled rebel angel willing to stand up against arbitrary rules or authority. In Western countries in particular, Christianity is so dominant. Many people who identify as Satanists were raised in religious, restrictive households and made to feel oppressed because they were different in some way. So by using Satan as a symbol, we're taking that narrative back and making it our own. So Baphomet more closely resembles those more Gnostic ideals rather than the Christian devil. But speaking of Satanism, if you're wondering if Lupercalia is still celebrated today, the answer is yes, of course it is. The Satanic Temple still celebrates Lupercalia as a festival of, quote, bodily autonomy, sexual liberation, and reproduction, according to their website. So if you would like to experience it for yourself, I guess just get in touch with them. They also have a giant statue of Baphomet. So pretty interesting stuff. 
Of course, Lupercalia would eventually fall out of fashion as the pagan beliefs of the old world faded and the Christian monotheistic beliefs of the new world became more prominent and politically powerful. Today, we celebrate Valentine's Day, which is named after St. Valentine, who, legend has it, performed Christian marriage ceremonies even though the Roman emperor had banned marriage. Very romantic. It's been quite a journey from whipping women with fertility hides to flowers and chocolates, but I don't know, maybe we can just lazily blame this transformation all on capitalism. In exploring all of this, the thing that jumps out to me is the fact that governments are always trying to police thought. Religions, in my opinion, seek to do the same thing, and the reason is because it's easier to wield power over people if those people are not constantly questioning you and your motives. So, if the Knights Templar are acting on behalf of all Christendom, and if they're the highest order of Christianity across not one, but several lands, then the fact that they were engaging in, for example, usury should have been a red flag. Usury is decidedly unchristian. In fact, historically, Christians have often criticized money-lending Jewish people for charging interest on the loans. But if you've amassed enough power, you can do and say whatever you want. When I say power, I'm not just referring to monetary or political power. I'm also talking about power in the sense of emotional dominance over people who believe that despite not following Christian doctrine, the Knights were the epitome of good fighting Christians. They were defending the Holy Land. They were protecting Christian missionaries in Palestine. They were defending the name and spreading the word of Christ. Who cares if they were engaging in some unchristian-like behavior? And what's further telling is that when it finally came time for their reckoning, when it was time to take them down and discredit them in the eye of the public, it wasn't enough for the king, the pope, or whoever to call them out for their actual sins that they were committing. It wasn't enough that they were essentially a giant monopolistic bank-slash-multinational corporation, the likes of which those people had never really seen before. Nope, they had to suggest that the Knights Templar were worshipping some kind of demonic creature, and they had to bastardize a pagan deity that never really stood for evil in the first place. This all happened nearly one millennium ago, like nine or ten centuries ago and it feels like we've learned nothing. Today, we still have religious warfare in Palestine, if that's what you want to call it. Today, we still get charged exorbitant interest fees on the loans to the point that they're arguably destroying the economy. And we still have people doing horrible things and hiding behind a thin veil of religious authority. If you question them and their work, you're basically questioning the entire religion and every one of its followers. Oh, and we still have people blaming things they don't like or understand on the devil, even though not everyone even believes in a devil. And I honestly don't even know if people get that. Anyway, I'll end it there. And with that, it's a wrap for Lucky Episode 13 of the Modern Context Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your February. I will see you in March. And until next time, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to the show at hello at modconpod.com with any suggestions or questions you might have for us. Also, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, find us on YouTube, and tell your friends about us. And of course, thank you all for listening. Happy Valentine's Day to those who celebrate. Happy Lupercalia to those who celebrate. 
and happy birthday to my mother. I can't wait to see y'all next time. Cheers. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.